welcome to Escape Roots with Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Divya Thani, Global Editorial Director of Condé Nast Traveler, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveler, we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favorite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners, or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Rebecca Meisner. Welcome to Condé Nast Traveler's Escape Routes. I will be reading my piece on French Polynesia, which featured in the April 2020 issue of Condé Nast Traveler. I hope you enjoy it. It's a Saturday afternoon and I'm sharing plates of tangy green papaya salad and tuna crudo washed down with the local Hanano beer at Fish and Blue. With its distressed whitewashed furniture, outdoor chandelier, and giant Buddha head, it feels more like a quirky boutique in the Hamptons than a tables in the sand restaurant on the South Seas Island of Raiatea. Opposite me is Tari Pariente, who's wearing a pareo the traditional Polynesian skirt, and a bright white v-neck. All the young kids are obsessed with America, dressing in Nike, listening to Bad Bunny, he tells me. I'm like, come on, own your own culture. Westerners are all trying to be like us, getting tattoos and surfing. With arms decorated in elaborate designs and two enormous boar's heads tusk hanging from a green cord around his neck, Tahi is, it appears, fully owning his culture. He jumps easily between chatting about traditional celestial navigation, which he studied along with Polynesian linguistics, and where to eat in Los Angeles. As a self-described cultural life coach who founded his own adventure tourism outfit, Polynesian Escape, he's on speed dial for intrepid guests who want to hike up Bora Bora's Mount Otamano or learn how to spearfish. He is emblematic of a new generation that is both globally aware and committed to the island's heritage and keen to share it in deeper, more nuanced ways. French Polynesia, a peppering of volcanic islands across millions of miles of ocean, occupies a certain place in our collective imagination and has long served as a sort of Edenic foil to our modern mechanizing world. It's a reverie induced by a sea that alchemizes from barely there cyan to an incandescent Uranian blue and then deep indigo. Trees slung with Martian green breadfruit, all but submerged coral age holes, and the perfume of jasmine, vanilla, and copra, cracked coconuts caramelizing in the tropical sun. The accounts of French explorer de Bougainville helped shape the utopian theories of Denis Diderot. Gagan's bright colored, side eyed fin de siècle paintings and more shadowy woodcuts captivated a generation of modernists. Literature's heavy hitters, Melville, Mom, Mishner, 
chronicled their time on the islands, using them as languid backdrops to the plot. More recently, Elizabeth Gilbert, in The Signature of All Things, sends her protagonist, a young female botanist, from her life of science and structure in 19th century Philadelphia to Tahiti in search of the spiritual, the divine, and the magical. But at some point, the idea of the islands as a romantic cliché spread and grew. A French Polynesia as a once-in-a-lifetime destination for newlyweds and those whose marriages have made it to 50 staying at hotels with overwater villa line jetties that spiral into the Pacific lagoons like teak and thatched tentacles. It's a one-dimensional idea that, to paraphrase Rogers and Hammerstein, you probably want to wash right out of your hair. Thankfully, the travelscape is changing. Papiete, French Polynesia's capital and the location of its only international airport, is now easier and cheaper to access. Alternative places to stay are opening up at both ends of the spectrum, lo-fi, locally-owned guesthouses, and private atolls. And hotels are working with native storytellers, athletes, and craftspeople, creating experiences that go beyond traditional dance performances during dinner. Exploring the sea with a big wave surfer or free diver, for example, or getting inked by a tattoo artist, the monochrome art form, which appeared in place of writing on the islands, still has deep social significance. I've been to the Society Islands, one of French Polynesia's five island groups, which includes Rayatea as well as Tahiti and Bora Bora before, and done the usual things. Visited the Black Pearl Farms, swam with the sharks, explored the vanilla plantations. This time I'm taking a different tack, staying mostly in small hotels such as Vahini Island, a palm-studded motu, or small island, off Taha, with a few wooden bungalows and humidity-defying croissants at breakfast, and Veneera Lodge, an eco-guest house on Tahiti's remote southwestern coast that is a 10-minute boat ride from the notoriously heavy, world-class wave to Hupu. I asked Tahi if he minds skipping the sights and just driving around. We take the main road that hugs Rayatea's 61-mile perimeter of rocky beaches and palm-lined inlets, ringing a rainforest, bursting with candlenut and mape trees, waterfalls, and the mysterious Tiare Apatahi, a wild gardenia that only grows here. On the south shore, about halfway around, we stop, get into a small fishing boat, and putter for five minutes to reach the tiny motu of Nao Nao, owned by the family of a friend of Tahi's, who started coming to French Polynesia in the early 2000s with his parents, to serve fish and camp and what he says felt like Hawaii a century ago. The Tahitian-born architect, Hélène Fleureau, who's developing the motu, is there to show us around three fare, Tahitian for house, that are almost finished, built out of the clear diatu, a local ironwood that can stand up to the triple threat of water, salt, and wind, and sunbleached coral, patiently hand-puzzled together to form support columns. They're minimal and modern, with high-end touches such as the enormous, unlacquered brass showerheads in the bathrooms. When it opens later this year, it'll be the type of place I want to rent out with my family and a few friends and their kids to snorkel in the still lagoon. I'm not too surprised to learn that Tahi is also friends with Nicholas Malville and Francesca Bonato, the savvy couple behind the Cold Hideaway Hotel and perfume brand Koki Koki, 
who helped put Tulum, and more recently Valladolid, on the new nomad map. The pair moved from Mexico to Bora Bora with their three children in 2016 for the flowers. Everything, apparently, grows on Bora Bora. And there are few pollutants, which means pure perfume. In 2017, they opened a boutique perfumery and spa on the island's quiet Matera Beach, miles from the cruise port of Vaitape. In the shop one morning, there's a lean, wind-whipped couple, midway through sailing their 50-foot Hinkley from New Zealand to California, browsing hats woven from faded pandamus fronds, kitten-soft suede travel totes, and sniffing potions, including orange blossom-infused bath oil, and a Langalang coconut eau de parfums, while Serge Gainsborough growls over the speakers. Much of the rattan furniture and wall hangings have been repurposed, along with a deep teak-rimmed clawfoot tub from the legendary, now shuttered Hotel Bora Bora whose 60s tiki cool drew everyone from Cecile Beaton to Nicole Kidman before closing in 2011. The plan is to open guest houses in original Hotel Bora Bora rooms that the couple have painstakingly moved and restored. For the moment, the character of the hotel lives on in the boutique. Few places in French Polynesia, or the world for that matter, are comparable to Nukutapipi, a coral atoll in the remote Tuamotu Archipelago, 600 miles southeast of Tahiti and nearly 4,000 miles from any continental landmass. Guy Le Liberté, consummate showman and co-founder of Cirque du Soleil, bought the undeveloped island in 2007 and has been slowly turning it into a private retreat. With its own solar power and water plants, vegetable and herb gardens, fruit groves, apiary, chicken coop, and on-site doctor, nurse, and IT team, it is well on its way to self-sufficiency. No commercial flights go there, and I'm at Papiette Airport at 5 a.m., pounding three successive cups of tepid vending machine café au lait while waiting for my charter plane. I assume this brutal hour is to capitalize on a lull in scheduled flights, but I soon learn that it's because of the birds. We land on a dot of coral, completely surrounded by water, with no smudge of neighboring land outlined against the distant horizon. It's this curious isolation that drew La Liberté here in the first place. There's something really humbling about being at the total mercy of nature. You dig deeper here, you interact with people differently, your head clears, La Liberté says, and it's the only place on earth I can crank my sound system as loud as I want and not piss off the neighbors. The path from the airstrip to the lagoon beach snakes through one of Tuamotu Island's primary forests. It's so dense that I nearly trip over a snow-white, ridiculously downy puffball sitting in the middle of it. What turns out to be a red-tailed chick looks up and squawks, but doesn't move, secure in her right to be here. La Liberté has ensured that the island remains a sanctuary for the large number of marvelously monikered birds that live here such as the red-footed booby and the nearly extinct bristle-thighed curlew, clearing invasive species of plants, keeping it rat and mosquito-free, and timing the landing of planes with when the birds are least active. There are no footprints in the finely crushed coral beach lining the lagoon, just the loopy tracks of hermit crabs. 
I'm not too sure what I was expecting from the man who has helped redefine modern-day spectacle, but the villas, all of which open onto the beach, are wonderfully understated. The wood has been left untreated, so the structures continue to weather and form patinas. Window frames and red cedar roofs blend into the surrounding forest. Small details have been scrupulously considered. The reef-safe bath products, the mezcal at the bar from one little shop in Oaxaca, the fresh shots of ginger juice laced with island honey at breakfast. That's not to say there aren't some theatrics. There's a collection of ornately carved antique hunting spears and the insanely high observation platform, 80 feet steps up, which I climb to find a daybed and a 19th century brass telescope for scanning the horizon for humpback whales. A bike ride before dinner leads to Pergola, a 30-foot steel sculpture that looks like a Gothic chapel glowing copper in the setting sun. There are shiatsu massage and facials at the spa, surf lessons, laying down tracks in the recording studio, and hijinks on the outdoor parkour course. Of course, all this comes at a price. For a week on the island, which sleeps 52, it costs around 750,000 pounds. While a number of these new hoteliers are drawn from outside Polynesia, it's the islanders themselves who are at the heart of the experience. At Loki Vahani, Skipper Titi takes me snorkeling off a nearby shore. For two hours, we see only coral, chunky, brain-like neon purple lobes and enormous wispy fire orange fans, and so many weirdly wonderful creatures, including a yellow-striped goatfish with its old man's face and Roberta a stingray that befriended Titi decades ago, which swims ahead of us. At the Tahitian-owned Venera Lodge, a husband and wife take me out on a boat to see the Tehopu break, where I scream like a preteen on a roller coaster, my adrenaline spiking as few surfers risk their lives for a six-second thrill. I remember Tahi describing Polynesia's oral tradition, passed down the generations, which describes a legend behind every mountain, river, and island. We're born storytellers, he says. While those intricate tattoo designs of scrolling waves and curling ferns will give you an idea about the person, the history is told in tales. The island's own narrative arc is continuing to evolve. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Truth podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us on the charts and ensure that you're the first to hear about our new episodes.